think it all comes down to just being smart how you leave and not being too aggressive while you're still employed by someone else. Because if you know that you could be playing with fire, it may not be worth it. You're listening to You're a Financial Planner, Now What? The podcast to help you fast track your career by bringing you meaningful conversations on topics that influence new financial planners, their careers, and the lives of their clients. Today's episode is a curated discussion with a few of our previous guests, Bill Simonet, Katie Brewer, Dave Grant, and of course, Hannah Moore. We hope you enjoy their discussion about what they wish they knew before leaving a firm. Here's Hannah. Thanks, Charlie. We've talked a lot about how to build up your career on this podcast, but I think this is one of the most important topics that we've had yet on this podcast. I hear stories all the time from planners about mistakes that they've made when they've left their firms that have had huge negative impacts on their career. And after hearing far too many, if only I would have known, we put this episode together. It's a topic that affects just about everyone who's listening to this podcast, but is rarely, if ever, talked about in a public way. But before we jump into this episode, I want to give quickly tell you about the FPA's residency program and their upcoming deadline. I still seriously regret missing it when I first passed a CFP exam and became a financial planner. FPA residency is a six-day intensive boot camp taught by some of the most incredible planners in financial planning. The experience is unlike any other and teaches you what the CFP courses can't, and also accounts for three months of work experience. Stay tuned at the end of this episode and we'll share more information. Yeah, there are a couple of things that um, sometimes you learn along the way and you wish that somebody had told you about that beforehand. Um, so some of them are actually things that, you know, you shouldn't even wait until you leave. You should make sure that you do them or ask for them or whatnot, like as soon as you're there. Um, so one of the big ones is whenever you accept employment, a lot of times in financial services, they'll have you sign confidentiality agreement. Um, they might have you sign a non-solicitation. They might have you sign a non-compete. And a lot of times people are like, oh, this is just the paperwork that I just fill out at the beginning of a job. Um, you need to make a copy of all of that stuff because those are legal documents that you're signing that bind you to particular things. And if you needed a copy of them later um, and you're trying to leave, I'm pretty sure your employer or ex-employer, soon to be ex-employer, is not going to, you know, cheerfully cough those up. Absolutely. Before you agree to work for a company, I mean, this is just good practice to begin with, right? If you're going to sign a contract, uh, that contract should be reviewed by a professional. So you understand what your liabilities are. Um, And as a novice, brand new to something, uh, or even transitioning from one company to the next, you know, you, you don't know what to look, you might not know what to look for. And in my opinion, there are three key things to look for um, in the financial services industry if you're going to work for a company. One, who owns the client? Two, who can contact the client? And three, what recourse or what are the repercussions if I take my clients? Um, I know when I left the broker dealer where I was at, when you gave your notice of resignation, most people, it's effective that same day with where I was at, it was notice of 30 days. So you turn in your notice to leave and you had to wait 30 days before you were actually, um, the relationship before you could actually leave, uh, by how their uh, rule book was set up. And so 
I knew several people who wanted to leave and they thought they would be walking out the door the same day, <laughs> only to find out, never mind, you're here for 30 more days. Uh, so all of those things are really important. And, you know, getting copies of everything when you sign up, I think is really, um, really crucial. It is. And having them legally reviewed is definitely money well spent. Because some of the agreements you sign actually aren't worth the weight on paper. When I planned to leave and when I turned in my, my notice, I was literally walked out of the door and all access, all contact information was, was taken away. I wasn't able to follow up with any of my clients directly. They had to reach out to me. And there was always a fear of or, or the threat that, you know, if you talk to any of these people, we're going to come after you. We're going to sue you for damages because they're not your clients. They are ours. And I mean, those are things that are a little bit awkward, you know, <laughs> because if you don't, if you don't make a copy of it as you're signing it, um, you know, anytime that you try to go back, your employer is going to be like, why, why are you asking for this? Um, with along that string, I did have one, one employer that asked me to sign um, a non-compete as I was leaving um, which I thought was kind of interesting. I think they went through and were kind of doing their checklist of like, what things do we need to make sure are in place? And we're like, oh, shoot, we never got her to sign a non-compete. Now she's leaving. Um, and that was such an awkward conversation because I really, really liked the person that was asking me to sign it. And, you know, I had zero, um, or, you know, it was a non-solicitation. I'm sorry, it was not a non-compete. You know, I had zero intention of taking any clients from there. But at the same time, I had to come back and, you know, and say, look, I've, I've spoken with an attorney and they don't think it's a good idea, nor do they think it's enforceable if I sign something on the way out the door that, you know, should have been an agreement that was signed when I joined. So that was a little bit awkward. Um, <laughs> but know that sometimes that comes up. <laughs> I wish I would have known um, how non-competes work and what information I could take uh, regarding clients um, because transitioning from one firm to the next can be incredibly, incredibly painful. I guess the whole topic of all this is what we wish we knew when we left. And so some of this is going back to what I wish I would have been thinking about the entire time I was employed because it would have made things very clear uh, to me. And so I, I know this is maybe sounds silly, but follow the money. Um, you need to know that when a client pays, when a client pays an advisor or money comes out of their investment account or whatever it may be, where does that money go? Like who are the players and like, what do they care about? And so if you're at a captive insurance agent, like, so every dollar that your client pays, how much goes to the advisor or how much, how much goes to the broker dealer? And it's, it's really, you have to understand those dynamics. And I know for a long time, I didn't think in those terms. And, and now I, I try to think in those terms just to understand what people's motives are. Because as much as we want to help clients and how that needs to be a focus of everything we do, and I think for so many advisors, that is the focus. It's not about the dollars and cents. There are players out there where they really only care about the bottom line. And so you need to understand what their motivations are. The second firm that I left, I was itching to start my own practice for about a year before I left that firm. And, you know, to my own detriment, I got very excited when I left. And it was a case of, you know, I was planning a lot beforehand. 
I was doing work on my employer's time to actually make my practice, you know, be ready to launch when I left. Um, and so in all fairness, I wasn't giving my best effort for them. And it came down to when I left, I, I told a client that I was leaving. And I asked them if they would be willing to come with me. That was not the best move because when I left, that actually got back to my employer, which started a whole storm that you know, involved lawyers, unfortunately. So it, it wasn't the best thing for me to do. You know, there's been plenty of times that um, I thought maybe something that I signed would come back and like nobody ever brought it up. Um, but then there are also times where, you know, I knew that something was in place before I left. And so I made sure that I didn't violate what, whatever that was, um, especially non-solicitation. I feel like that's, that's both bad blood and violating something that you've signed. So, you know, if, if your plan is to like leave and go call all of the clients from your former firm beforehand, A, you need to know if you can legally do that. And B, you need to know that you're probably going to burn bridges in um, some not good ways. So I was under a I think it was a non-solicit at that point, um, which, you know, if you then say, okay, you talked to a client before you left, were you in violation of the non-solicit? Yeah, probably. Um, but then it came down to me having that agreement taken to a lawyer and in Illinois, not many things are enforceable. And so he said, based on all the things in this letter, if you'd have left without talking to a client the day after you left, you could have turned around and talked to any client of theirs about leaving. Um, that agreement was non-enforceable. It was written very vaguely. Um, and, you know, legally standing, it wasn't well written. I was just so excited that I just couldn't stop talking. I think that was my issue. Um, you know, legally, I think that that was the only thing I did wrong, legally standing, is just talk to a client and tell them to come with me. Um, the fact that they didn't come with me actually means that I think I was still on solid ground. But it was a case of hey, you kind of overstepped the mark here. We're going to come after you pretty hard and fast. So if I had to stay quiet and just left, I think I would have been fine. You know, I think like one of the first jobs that I was ever at that had email, um, you guys will laugh, but when I started in the, in the industry in 2004, I worked for a big brokerage firm that um, did not have email in 2004. So I had no problems there. But <laughs> I think the next place that I was at... Um, I probably had way too many like personal emails going on that, you know, I would like forward to my work email or whatnot. Um, I mean, this is a big one. Don't use your work email for your personal stuff. Just don't do it. Like, you know, email addresses are free. They hand them out like candy. It's not like you've got to go sign up and pay $100 a month. Um, because, you know, think about like if I ever left, a, do I want all of this stuff archived forever and ever uh, with this firm? And B, am I going to be able to have access to it, you know, unless I'm furiously forwarding emails, which, uh, by the way, that sets off compliance if you're furiously forwarding yourself a bunch of emails, um, you know, that might send a red flag somewhere that you're about to do something. Yeah, I, I gave my two weeks notice. And instead of having two weeks, I was literally walked out the door that day. Like, thank you very much. Um, you're you're done today. Access to my email and all of my client files, documents were immediately taken. All of my paper files were, were locked away. And I was left with pretty much nothing. So when I made that transition, I this was on me. I didn't know what I could and what I couldn't take. Um, I 
I was under the impression that none of the information, none of my clients were available to me. I was wrong. So I could have taken uh, my brokerage clients. I could have taken um, some non-captive insurance clients, but I didn't know that. I wasn't aware. And I ended up walking out and having to build my book and my business from scratch all over again. So if you picture you know, you're working at home in a home office, trying to get this firm off the ground. And then in month two, you get a letter from an attorney that says you need to respond in the next week on all these issues. You have no idea what's going on. Your wife is intimately involved in the business at this point because she's nervous about how it's going to play out. Um, and then you have to go home and tell her, yeah, I, I got a letter from a lawyer and I, I'm not sure what to do. The amount of stress that goes into that situation is incredible. Like the stress of starting a business by itself and trying to actually get it off the ground is insane. But then you throw lawyers in there that you're trying to push away because it's related to a situation that you don't even care about anymore. It's, it's almost unbearable. And then it comes from a budget perspective of you've, you're on bare bones budget. You're on a skeleton budget of trying to get this thing off the ground. Now you've got to pay lawyers. Now you've got to pay forensic teams to come in and, and help you with you know, data recovery and data scrubbing on your systems. And you have to be timely in responding to these things. It was horrible. Like I, I really hope and pray that no one else goes through that because you know, my business growth suffered, my marriage suffered, and my income and you know, household budget suffered because of you know, $5, five, you know, because of tens of thousands of legal dollars that have you know, been spent that could have gone elsewhere. So I think it all comes down to just being smart how you leave and not being too aggressive while you're still employed by someone else um, and just you know, starting your own practice is great. Be careful how you do it. But once you're on your own, if you want to talk to clients and you're not under an, um, a non-solicit, you can do that. But just know where you've come from in terms of the company that you've left. Because if you know that you could be playing with fire, it may not be worth it. I tend to be a, somebody who kind of plans stuff way out. Um, but if you're not, you know, if, if it's something where you're just like, oh, God, I just hate this place. Like, I'm going to quit tomorrow. You need to go for a run or yoga or drinking with your friends or something, because that's not going to give you enough time to kind of, you know, figure out, like get your head on straight and figure out, okay, what am I doing? Is there anything else that I need to do? Do I need to consult with an attorney before I leave? Um, those types of things. It just depends on what type of like firm and practice that you're with. But if you're with an insurance company or a broker dealer, um, it's pretty likely that the minute that you say, I'm done here, they'll be escorting you out of the building within like 30 minutes with no access to any emails, any, you know, notes that you've ever taken, <laughs> any, you know, personal pictures you put on your computer. It doesn't matter. Like they're probably going to kind of shut you down um, right at that minute. And with if like you're with an independent BD or, you know, with a firm with an independent BD or an RA, there might be a little bit more leeway there, but, you know, just kind of think it out, plan it out beforehand. Um, maybe talk with somebody else that's left the firm before you leave, just so that you kind of know what to expect. Um, and that's going to allow you to be more prepared. I've seen articles on financial planning website where um, if you're going to be doing the transition, you, you need to know well in advance 
uh, I mean, three to six months, who you're going to contact and how. And, you know, the quit on Friday, open up on Monday analogy is very, very true, right? <laughs> um, in some cases, if you can leave on uh, at the end of the day on Friday, make your announcement at 4.30 before walking out of the door at 4.45, and then open up your RIA or your broker dealer, whatever the firm is, on Monday morning the next or that following week, and immediately start reaching out to your clients. Um, have the paperwork ready. You know, if you know who's going to transition with you, have all of those documents ready, and have all of those clients set up to go on appointments to come into your your new office or your new space starting Monday of that next week, and get as many clients as you legally can transition before the before that time period expires, before the week is over, before other advisors have a chance to contact them, um, before any other um, issues may come up. That's an interesting one. To actually not understand if you're leaving, but may know it may be on your path at some point. Because I was in that. You know, four years into the um, industry, I was very much designing the firm I wanted in the future. And I was I didn't pull the trigger until another two and a half years after that. So it's a case of if you think you're going to be leaving, you know, start dreaming, start designing what you want it to look like, because the more of that you can get out of the way, the easier it is to pull the trigger because you know exactly what you're leaving for. And then understand all the costs involved with it. Understand, okay, what is my budget going to be to actually run my business? How much income am I giving up? What amount do I need in savings to actually make sure that I'm okay financially? As many of those things that you can think about and jot down on paper, even if you think it's not going to happen just yet, the easier that transition is going to be. If you really hate a firm and you're just like, I'm just going to get out of here and then I'm going to see what I'm doing next, um, you know, that's fine. Just know the repercussions could be that you could be unemployed for six months or a year or whatnot. Um, and if you leave a firm, then your old firm is not required at all to pay you unemployment. Um, unless they kind of let you go. So, you know, kind of figuring out like what your next steps look like, even if they're a little bit fuzzy, um, is always good, you know, before you terminate a relationship. Um, I'm a, I'm way over planner though. So I feel like that's like, well, why wouldn't you do that? But I know plenty of people who are like, I just can't stand it a minute longer and they leave and then they try to figure out what they're doing. Um, and sometimes they underestimate the time frame that it's going to take to you know, find that next position. The other piece of that is the uh, products. So when you start working with a company, understanding how those products work and how they how they can affect your clients. Some companies have proprietary funds or investments that they lock their clients into. And when that happens, those clients can't get out of those products without it costing them an arm and a leg. And that can be, for the client, it's a, it's a major disservice because now you don't give them the flexibility that they may need to make a change. And for you, that creates another issue because if you do decide to leave and transition from one type of business to another, you can't transition that client whether they have a non-compete or not. You know, uh, if, if, that, if that company is with, uh, if that client is with a, a company that, whose funds or investments or products are only offered through that company, you can't service that client. You can't help them figure out how to move or how to get the best out of that product that they can um, without maybe having them liquidate and having to pay a surrender 
or increasing their tax picture or whatever the case may be. And that does a disservice to the client and it does a disservice to you as an advisor. Yeah, so as you know, I am a little bit outspoken, a tiny, teeny, tiny bit. Um, I kind of had a tendency probably a couple of places in my 20s to kind of get on my little like, you know, step stool and be like, let me tell you how we should just be totally running this firm differently. Um, and A, people don't really, you know, appreciate that all the much. And B, you get a reputation of being like the person who does all the talking, but not the walking. You know, you kind of get a reputation of being the the person that like puts everything out there and has ideas, but won't help actually like put them into action. That's not exactly like when you're leaving or not. Well, it could be because if you have an exit interview, sometimes people see that as their big green light to like, I'm going to dump everything that I hate about this firm on this HR person. Um, it's the same thing with email. It's going to be archived forever. So, um, you know, if if you wanted to throw gasoline all over that bridge and light it on fire, you know, like go right ahead and do that. But um, this is a pretty small industry and there are a whole lot of people that know other people. Um, and so if, you know, if you think, okay, if a future employer called this person, would they recommend me for the job? And if you're going to like, you know, throw 100% of your opinion on how much you hated that firm on the way out the door, the answer is probably no. They're, they're not going to recommend you at some point in the future. And so then when it came down to HR asking me to do my exit interview, I actually declined because I, I didn't want to run my mouth in that interview because that's, that wasn't what I wanted to leave on. And so it came down to the final day. I packed my boxes. I shake the hands of my cube mates and I just walk out the door. And it felt bizarre. Like it was just like a complete 180 of how I've left another firm and we're in the same profession. So, you know, as it came down to, you know, the aftermath of, of leaving that firm, I wasn't surprised of, you know, lawyers getting involved and you know, my every move being questioned prior to leaving the firm. And I don't talk to, you know, I talk to one person in that office now. And that was my cube mate who I'd worked with um, closely on other clients. Other people I actively avoid. And it, it's unfortunate because I worked with those people. I got to know their families. I've been in their houses, um, you know, met their spouses. Um, but just a case of how relationships deteriorate. It, it was unfortunate how it all ended. I think it's also kind of in this context, you know, know what can't be taken away from you. So when I started out, I invested heavily at the beginning of my career in training and various programs to help me as a professional and how I related and interacted with clients. And so when I moved on, all of that training stayed with me. All of that investment into my skill set, like I was a better advisor when I left. And so I think that's a really important concept um, that maybe doesn't get all the attention. Just from what I had seen in the company in the last three years, I wasn't surprised how it all unraveled, um, which I think goes back to a lot of culture in a firm. Like if you're seeing things in a firm that aren't great on a culture perspective, that's going to give you clues as to how it's going to be when you leave a firm. It's going to be the same environment and same atmosphere. When people leave, there's always two sides to the story, right? And so oftentimes 
When somebody leaves abruptly from your firm or wherever you may be, you only see one side of it. And I would say really make a point to understand the other side of it uh, because what happened to them could very well happen to you. You have to be a objective when you're watching what's happening around you. And it's, I know when I first started, there were several people who left and I just, it it took me years to really kind of understand the various dynamics around that and really more, um, be far more sympathetic to the people who left. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, if I would have just known that then I think it would have helped prepare me, uh, for, for future events. Um, but yeah, if your employer's or broker dealer or whoever you're with is willing to do it to somebody else, they're going to be willing to do it to you. I think you have to understand who you work for. So if you have seen your superiors kind of blow up at someone who's leaving or a decision that didn't go their way, know that they're not going to take your decision for leaving that well. But if you work for a supportive environment, feel comfortable to talk to them about, you know what, I don't think this is the right place for me anymore. I think I need to be moving on. Because if you have that support from them going forward, of course, they're not going to like it, but they may be supportive of you professionally. If you have that going forward, you may be able to turn around to them later and say, you know, I need some help building up my book of clients. Could you refer me some business? So it's always good to keep friends in the industry because you never know where it's going to play out. I think if you are thinking about leaving or you find yourself in a spot where you suddenly have left, (laughs) whether by your choice or somebody else's, I think it's really important to know that you can rebound and that you will rebound. Um, it's, is a really hard and oftentimes pretty dirty industry and things are happen every day that are just not fair. I guess the only other thing that I did was, you know, if there are people that I wanted to keep in touch with afterwards, um, you know, I would maybe just draft up like your your email that says like, hey, you know, coworkers, here's how to get in touch with me or go connect with them on LinkedIn um, or whatnot, you know, but just it's a lot easier when you're internal to kind of send internal messages back and forth. That's a little bit harder afterwards. So just kind of figure out, you know, your strategy if you need one for kind of keeping in touch with people that you want to keep in touch with at that um, company. So as we kind of wrap up, I know there's been a lot of doom and gloom (laughs) that may sound uh, like we're talking about here, but I think at the end of the day, the power is the relationship with the client. And what I mean by that is when you work with a client directly, now this is true if you're wanting to take clients with you. I mean, that's frankly where the money is. Um, But even if you're leaving a firm where you've been an employee and aren't going to take any clients with you, like the most powerful thing that we do in our work is have relationships with clients. And regardless, I I think everybody's replaceable at some level within their firm, but regardless of who replaces you, nobody will have that same relationship with that client that you did. And that's really, really valuable. And that's really powerful. And I think it really brings into focus what we do and why we do it. And Really, at the end of the day, the most important thing that we have is our relationship with our clients. Absolutely. And protecting that relationship is key because if we can protect that relationship, then what we're going to do is we're going to continuously provide uh, good advice and we're going to continue to build within the industry a profession that focuses on the client and one of their most important assets. That's their money. It's their livelihood. You know, their, their ability to retire, send their kids to college or die with dignity, uh, you know, preserve wealth, whatever the case may be. 
Before we close, I want to tell you of an incredible opportunity with the FPA residency program and how I really do regret not being able to attend it when I started out. Like many of us, when I started, I had all the technical skills, but I lacked the training and the personal side of financial planning. Like, what do you say to a client? Do I really have what it takes to engage effectively within a client? Where do you even start? And the people who've attended residency rave about how it was gratifying, challenging, and the most amazing learning opportunity that they've had professionally. They've said they developed skills and the confidence to not only build the best client-centered plan, but also build the kind of trust that is essential to our relationship with clients. So to give you a bit of a background, FPA residency has been around for about 15 years. It gives you three months of work experience, which is a lot or 28 hours of CE and is the only program of its kind. It's a six day intensive and immersive case study based course taught by some of the most legit CFPs in the profession. Like they're crazy good and gives new planners experience that's just impossible to get in the classroom or from a book. You'll build an incredible network with some of the best and brightest in the financial planning that will be your longtime friends and mentors throughout your career. If you're interested in learning more, visit the FPA's website at onefpa.org and search for residency, or you can send an email to info at onefpa.org. Early bird pricing ends on October 20th and residency sells out every year, so don't wait. 